All right. How's everybody feeling? This is day six of our 21-day feast. Yeah. Uh, if this is your first time visiting today, our church is in the middle of a 21-day fast. Uh, we have 130 people uh, joining in with this fast from both campuses and a dozen from abroad. Um, 80 of these 130 people are doing a liquids-only juice-type fast. And uh, we are a bunch of hungry people, amen? amen? We had uh, five nights of prayer meetings this past week, uh, ending it with an all-night prayer meeting on Friday. Um, where, man, I was amazed to see so many people. Uh, I think we had... Uh, about 80 to start the night and, and toward the uh, morning at 7 a.m., there were, I heard it was still about uh, between 35 to 40 people that stuck around to watch and pray throughout the entire night. Uh, what a blessing it is to be part of a, such a wild and crazy church. Hallelujah. Man, I mean, I, I, I remember kind of waking up around 6 a.m. because it was so bright in the room. I, I, had to, I, I couldn't take, I, I, had to, I had to take a nap, all right, because I have pastor's meeting at 9 a.m., and we have missions training later on, um, but I woke up at 6 a.m., and people were still singing like it was like 7.30 at night. It was like a Friday fire type of like uh, uh, volume level in prayer and in praise, and uh, I just realized, man, man, people are really just filled with the Spirit. They're just really excited, uh, so it's been an exciting uh, past week, uh, it's going to be an exciting upcoming week. We have uh, Kirk Bennett and Pastor Ronnie, uh, Ronnie, how Ronnie Henderson <laughs> from IHOP, uh, along with five other leaders. There's a group of seven of them. They're going to be visiting us this upcoming Saturday. Uh, we're going to host an IHOP prayer school, and they're going to train us in the prophetic. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for ministry and receiving prophetic words. So we want to encourage everybody to prepare your audio recorders. If you have a personal audio recorder, be sure to carry it with you because you don't want to miss a thing, as Aerosmith said. Amen? Uh, y'all don't get me here. Uh, you regret it when you, when you can't remember the prophetic word. You just remember your spirit re- responded to it, but you can't remember the details. Be sure to bring audio recorder. Um, that's going to be on Saturday from 12 to 5 p.m. And then the week after... The, fi- the final week of our 21-day fast, we have Stephen Hansen and Kimberly Condor uh, coming from IHOP as well. And so they're going to be coming to our Friday fire on the last Friday of our 21-day fast. And they also will be uh, looking forward to ministering and doing a lot of personal prophecy. So uh, praise the Lord that uh, God is sending so many prophets and prophetically gifted people to come and build up our church. Amen. That is a wonderful thing. And OEM is also hosting Stephen Hansen and Kimberly this upcoming week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They're doing a prophetic training school as well. So if you guys have schedule, your schedule is free and you're really hungry, uh, you're more than welcome to go join OEM Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for their training school. All right? All right, if you can open up to Ephesians chapter 4, I want to share the word of the Lord for today. Somebody say, I'm hungry. I'm hungry hungry for the word. word. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. The Bible 
says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, our God, he is a generous giver. Amen. Amen. God loves to give gifts. How many in in here, your giving language is gifts and you love to give gifts? Raise your hand. You love to give very personalized. All right. And the rest of you are just stingy and can't even write an email. All right. No, I'm playing. Um, Some of us really love to give gifts. Well, God loves to give gifts. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that the Holy Spirit, He gives gifts. There are nine spiritual gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is the gift of word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gifts of healing, gift of miraculous powers, gift of prophecy, gift of tongues, and gift of discerning between spirits, and gift of interpretation of tongues. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, that all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills or as He determines. Talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to give gifts. How many of you guys want gifts from the Holy Spirit? You want some spiritual gifts in your life? Hallelujah. Well, I would like to also preach today something that perhaps is not preached so often in the church. And as much as we have gifts from the Holy Spirit, did you know that Jesus Christ also gave gifts to the church? Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, which precedes the, the passage we read today. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one, grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. The Bible says, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ gives gifts to the church. Now, the gifts that Christ gives are a bit different than the gifts of the Spirit. Okay? The gifts that Christ gives are mentioned in Ephesians 4.11. Check this out. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. In here, who is He referring to? Okay? Who is He referring to? Referring to Christ. And this verse is saying that the gifts that Christ gives the church are not in the manifestations of supernatural phenomena, but they come packaged in the form of people. Hallelujah. I thought of something funny, but I ain't going to say it. Hallelujah. Sometimes it's better not to say. You know, Christ, when you see his public ministry, he was operating in a powerful anointing. And what Jesus did was he took this anointing that was on his ministry 
And then he distributed it into five offices. And this is what we call the five-fold ministry. Some people argue it's a four-fold ministry, that it's not pastors and then teachers, but it's pastors, teachers. All right, I don't know. I don't think it's a very good argument because I think there's a dis- distinction between pastors and a distinction between teachers. Because if you see a good person that's called to be a teacher, they have a teaching gift. I mean, man, they teach and it makes you feel alive. When they teach something, you're taking notes like crazy. When they teach something, you want them to go write a book. That's the gift of a teacher. But not all pastors are teachers, are they? And then not all teachers are pastors either. And I'll talk about you know, what each of these offices look like later. But Jesus gives gifts to the church and these gifts come in the form of five offices, five kinds of people that God gives to the church. Now some people try to argue that there are no more modern day apostles and prophets. That out of these five, two of them have been done away with. And they argue that these two offices are no longer needed. When the Bible got compiled, these offices were vanished. And God has therefore taken these gifts back. Now, please don't mind the racist remark, but let me say something right now. As my mentor used to say, God is not an Indian giver, amen? Uh, Y'all don't even know what that means? (laughs) God is not an Indian giver, meaning God doesn't give a gift and then take it back. In your childhood, when you were growing up, have you ever had friends like that? They give you a gift, but they didn't really give it to you. So later on, they demand it back. You get into a fight with your friend and say, now give me that gift. Give me that gift I gave you for your birthday. That's called an Indian giver. Our God is not an Indian giver. Our God is not like that. In fact, you need to show me one place in the Bible that says two of the fivefold ministry gifts have been vanished. That they've been taken back. Search all of scripture, you will not find it. Although people boast that this doctrine and this argument is supposed to protect scripture, it is completely unscriptural. It's not in the Bible. And who was, who was the one that chose to take these two out, out of the five? This is a doctrine that is driven by fear. And in reaction against pseudo-Christian cults that rose up during America's Christian history. But let me tell you something right now. The church must realize that overcompensation never produces sound doctrine. Just because some cult rose up with a leader that claimed themselves to be this high-level authority, apostle, or prophet, and they lead some of the people in the church astray and go start their own cult, just because things like that happen, and it fills our hearts with fear, okay, that kind of reaction to these types of incidents does not produce sound doctrine, brothers and sisters. This doctrine of wanting two of these fivefold ministry gifts to disappear is not a doctrine that is sound. It is doctrine driven by fear. 
you know, if you really think about it, because our Reformation, our Protestant Christian history is driven by a reaction against authority, right? Because what was the Reformation all about? It was a Protestant Reformation that was a reaction against Catholic Church authority. Because the Catholic Church has their own uh, way of interpreting apostleship. And so the Reformation was a reaction against that authority. So since then, that, that spirit, that drive has been continued to be planted into the Western Church, into Western Protestant uh, churches. And it's still there. Because a lot of people in the church, they still have a distrust to authority. They, when they see abuse of authority, the answer that they automatically conclude is to have no authority. They would have, rather have no authority than have abuse of authority. And so that's the answer that they bring, is they just want to get rid of all authority. They want to just set up these you know, democratic voting majority rules solutions to govern the church. But let me tell you something right now. Maybe these solutions got rid of some abuse of authority, but it has also introduced all kinds of other trouble, problems, and lies. The answer to the abuse of authority is not no authority. It's the right use of authority. It's to implement right authority with accountability, raising up leaders of integrity and character. Now, Nowhere in the Bible does it say that any of these fivefold ministry gifts, Christ has taken them back. I mean, the Holy Spirit gives gifts. And, you know, some of these people that believe in these cessationist doctrines that say that cer- certain of the fivefold ministry gifts have ceased, they also say certain of the nine min- uh, spiritual gifts have also ceased. And they often pick out the ones that they want to get rid of. But they always want to keep gifts of healing. They say, oh, yeah, I'm always open to that gift. But the gift of prophecy, oh, that's out. When we got the Bible compiled, God said that's out. Okay, that's great. But where, where do we have that? Where is God prophesied that? Where is that in the scriptures? It's an empty argument. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God took away any of the fivefold ministry gifts. These gifts of Christ are perpetual. They are continual. Just like in the United States of America, we have a presidency. That was established at our independence. And for all the Canadians and Australians in here, uh, y'all looking at me kind of weird, but uh, yeah, y'all know American history. Actually, y'all know American history better than Americans do, I notice. Um, when George Washington became the president of the United States, when George Washington died, nobody said, oh, well, George Washington died. We're never going to have another president because George Washington was special. He was the only one that can handle the presidency. He was the only one that should be president. No, what happened? When George Washington, his term ended, what happened? They elected a new president. Why? Because that office is perpetual. It is continual. And that's why today we have a guy named Barack. We have Obama. Sit in that office because that office is perpetual. In the same way, the five-fold ministry gifts, they are perpetual to today. All right, but, but a lot of churches, church uh, historians and academic people, they would say, well, if it's perpetual, then how come we don't see it in church history? 
Okay, and, and the only solution, the only answer I have for that is called restoration. Okay, I believe what started out with God establishing these fivefold ministers, Satan oppressed it, lied to the church, and the church believed it. And we came to a point where we almost lost the gospel. You know, but what happened at the Reformation? Restoration. There was a restoration of truth. What is happening today? There's a restoration of power. At the turn of the century, right, in 1906 or 7, I always forget, 1907, I'm saying that's 1907, Azusa Street in a street, in a street in California with a bunch of blue-collar type people, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What is that? That's not a restoration of truth. That's a restoration of power. Okay, as God is restoring both his truth and his power, he's also restoring the offices, the fivefold ministry offices. Now, you may not hear this being preached at other churches, but let me tell you right now. As long as I am the pastor and the lead pastor of this church, I'm going to stand up for that which the Lord is putting upon my heart. I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God. And I believe that this is what God is trying to restore at this hour into the local body. Maybe you never heard this at a Korean American church. Most of you are Korean American. In, oh, well, actually, man, it's so diverse now. <laughs> <laughs> About half of y'all are Korean Americans. You may have not heard this growing up in your church, but let me tell you right now, it's going to change. You will hear about it. Because God is, has restored it. And he's bringing it front and center. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says these things are done away with. In fact, Romans 11.29 says God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Somebody say irrevocable. irrevocable. God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Now... In that case, how do we know that out of the five, apostles and prophets are supposed to come first and second? Why not be pastors and teachers? Okay, well, how do we determine that apostles are first and prophets? It's because of 1 Corinthians 12, 28. The Bible says, in the church, God has appointed first, first of all, apostles. Second, prophets. And third, teachers. So according to this passage, it's apostles, prophets, teachers, and then the pastor and evangelists, they can fight for fourth. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that works. But the Bible makes it clear that apostles and prophets, they are the foundation. The church, Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Amen. Why do we have such weak, fruitless churches these days? Because the church is not built on a good foundation. You can't build churches. You can't build good, solid, sound doctrine, power-filled, spirit-filled churches without apostles and prophets leading the way. Without the influence, the covering, the accountability, the teaching of apostles and prophets, you cannot build sound, fruitful, victorious churches. So the Bible points it out. The church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. These are highly gifted people that Christ gives to the church. 
Now, I'm beginning my message today by talking about the fivefold ministry offices and the gifts of Christ. Because in the last decades, God has been restoring the fivefold ministry. God's been restoring it back into the church. And this restoration is fueling a new move of God. Hey, give me a little more mic back there. I've been praying all weekend, man. My, my voice is about to go. I need to go to Etel and preach again. Give me some more mic. All right. And this restoration of fivefold ministries is fueling a new move of God. And this move of God is being called the All Saints Movement. Or the Day of the Saints. You see, back a couple hundred years ago, we experienced the Great Awakening. And the revivals, the mighty revivals under ministries of John Wesley, George Whitfield, uh, Charles Finney, Jonathan Edwards, D.L. Moody. And with these powerful outpourings, many people were saved by the thousands. And then around 1900, you had other revivalists that are a little more controversial. Like Smith Wigglesworth, Mariah Woodward Edder, Woodworth Edder, John Alexander Dowie, and John G. Link. Along with these revivalists, there were powerful outpourings that resulted in Thousands of salvations again. But also, their ministries were marked with physical healing. A lot of people were getting physically healed. And there have been many other moves of God in between. But the mark of what God is doing today is is unique. (laughs) Is uke. The mark of what God is doing today is unique and different from the moves that we have seen previous. The mark of what God is doing today, the fresh move of what God is doing today, will be marked, yes, by key leaders, but the main work of ministry will not be carried out by big-name revivalists. The main work of ministry is going to be carried out by the saints. That's you and me. A saint is not just some institutionalized position that some denominations use to honor people that are dead. A saint, according to the Bible, is anyone that's been redeemed by the blood of Christ. When Paul writes to the churches, he says, to the saints that are in Ephesus. To the saints that are in New Philadelphia. You guys are saints. Hallelujah. And there's a move of God. Where we are going to go out. The saints are going to go out and do the work of the ministry. Reread with me Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. It says... He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. You see, the fivefold ministry was given and it is being restored. Not so, so that these fivefold ministers will do all the work of the ministry. But the Bible makes it clear they are there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. You know, I don't know what you've been told, but as your pastor, let me just declare to you something right now. As your lead pastor, I am not here to do all the work of the ministry. Are you upset at me right now? That is what I got in my head. And that is what comes out in my ministry. And maybe 
that difference between your perspective and mine is what causes you to be offended sometimes by some of the makes, moves I make, some of the decisions I make. But look, in my mind, I am not here to do all the work of the ministry. It is an unhealthy expectation to put upon any pastor to expect of them to do all the teaching, the preaching, the prophesying, the laying hands, the evangelism, the counseling, the healing, deliverance, the casting out demons, the discipling, the administration, the missions work. That is an unhealthy expectation and I ain't going to let you put it on me. No one person can take on such a job description. Brothers and sisters, my main focus is not to do with the work of ministry. My main focus is to equip you to do it. That's what five-fold ministers were given to do. And some of y'all will look at me weird. You come to me for counseling and I say, go talk to your small group leader. And I think, what kind of pastor are you? (laughs) Well, check this out. I'm a pastor that's trying to stay scriptural and be spirit-led. If all I do is go around doing counseling for everybody, I'm not going to be able to do the work that I need to do to equip the saints. I'm just going to burn myself out. I'm going to retire early. I'm going to leave y'all. And say, and be happy about it. Peace out. I'm out. <laughs> you know what? But that's sadly the truth with a lot of pastors. That's exactly what they do. Why, why, why do so many pastors only stay at a church for two, three years and then move on? Why? Because this false teaching, this false expectation, the people of God puts it upon the pastor. And then the pastor's fault is they allow the people to put it on him. And then if he's married, he allows the people to put it on his wife. (laughs) No, but that ain't going to be here in New Philly. I'll tell you that right now. Isaiah 61 verse 6 says, You will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. Say, I am a minister. Each and every one of you has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And that anointing is upon you so that you can do the work of the ministry. You are all called to be priests. You are all called to be ministers of our God. Joel chapter 2 says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Prophecy is not just for IHOP leaders that come by once a year. All right. When these IHOP leaders come this week, they are not looking to do all the prophecy for the entire year. They're just going to give you whatever the Holy Spirit reveals. And then they're going to try to train you to hear the voice of the Lord for yourself. And then to hear the voice of the Lord to serve others. So you can prophesy to others. Maybe you won't have the actual gift to prophecy. Although the Bible tells us to eagerly desire that. But you can move prophetically. All of God's people can move prophetically. You know why? Because the spirit of God is living in you. If the devil's not even living in you. And he can whisper all kinds of lies into your head. Into your ears. And you, just, you can hear the devil real clear all the time. Can't you? Well how terrible of a news is it. If, 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 if people are telling you. You can hear the devil. But you can't hear the Holy Spirit. Look, the Holy Spirit is in you. He's with you all the time. And if you would just surrender your will and be led by the Spirit, He'll speak to you. He'll lead you. 
He'll lead you in ways where you won't even know that it's him. But he'll lead you if you're filled with the spirit of God. You know, that's the definition of being filled. At being in such oneness with the Lord, being filled with the spirit of God. Sometimes the actions that you take, that you think are out of your initiative, are actually out of the initiative of the heart of the Father. That's what it means to be at such unity and oneness with God. That's what God wants. He doesn't want just robots just waiting for the next order. He's looking for sons that take on the heart of the Father. And will speak out of that heart. Every saint is supposed to be doing the ministry. You know, in 1997, there's an author named Bill Hammond. There's a man who moves in the prophetic. Bill Hammond talked about how in 1997, God is about to spark the, all, the saints movement. And then three years later, in 2000, he wrote a book called The Day of the Saints. Okay. I have not read the entire book. So I'm not here to give you a book report. I'm just reviewing and summarizing what I read on the Amazon description. Okay. Now, in the book, he talks about how Acts chapter 8, it gives us a picture of the saints' movement. Acts chapter 8, the, 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 the saints, they get persecuted, they get scattered. And as they get scattered, they go about doing the work of the ministry. They go about preaching, spreading the word of God. And it gives us a picture of the, the saints' movement. And uh, Bill Hammond says that God is restoring the saints' movement at this hour. And God has spent the last few decades restoring the office of prophet and apostle so that all fivefold ministries are now in place so that these fivefold ministers can now equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so, you know, you know who won the, you know who won the Super Bowl this year? If you're American, I love football. And I'm preparing a message called The Gospel According to John Madden. I don't know if the Lord will release me to preach it, but there are so many amazing analogies between American football and, uh, and uh, Christianity and the kingdom of God. <laughs> Apparently, my, my brother Yas at the Itaewon Church Plant says, same thing for New Zealand football. I don't know. I, I don't know about New Zealand. But I do, I do know American football. Anyway, the New Orleans Saints, a team called the New Orleans Saints, they won the Super Bowl this year. For the first time. For the first time ever. You know? And uh, they were led by a wonderful quarterback. And, and I, believe, I believe that God is, just as the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl, I believe that God is equipping and mobilizing the saints to go and infiltrate the systems of this world. To go and win and be victorious for our head coach, Jesus Christ. And it's time for the saints to stop running away from the devil and being chased by the devil and start chasing the devil down. It's time for the saints to go and infiltrate the systems of this world. It's time for the saints to go marching in. Not marching in to glory, but bringing the glory down here to earth. We need to go and march into the systems of this world. Wherever Satan has got a grip and a stronghold, the saints has got to march into there with the power of God, with the truth of God, and set people free. It's the day of the saints. It's about time... That we get off the pews 
And we go out and we shine Christ's light. It's about time we do the work of the ministry in the arts and entertainment mountain, in business, in education, in government, in media. And to go and change and disciple nations with biblical values and with the anointing and favor of our Lord Christ. We need to go in and stop human trafficking. End poverty. Disallow oppression. Malnutrition. Genocide. Civil wars. God is raising up the Daniels, Josephs, and Esthers to rise up at this hour and have kingdom influence. That's what the saints move is all about. Every saint is called to be an effective minister for God's purposes. You know, when God looks down upon you with your little hagwon job or your SMOE job or, you know, wherever you're working. When God looks down at your job. Just because you're not in full-time ministry, he doesn't look at you and look at your job as second class. Do you know that? Well, I don't know, Pastor Christian. This job is, I don't know. I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm just trying to save up money. No, your, your job, God doesn't look at your job and think it's second class. And you need to stop thinking the same thing. God has called you to be a minister right where you are. Maybe that's not where you're going to stay, but you need to be a minister while you're there. You know, what did Joseph do? Man, he was a minister wherever he went. He had favor with Potiphar because, not only because it was this mysterious favor, of course there's a favor of God in that way, but Joseph was probably being his best. He wasn't stealing from Potiphar. He wasn't sleeping around with Potiphar's wife. He was being his best. He was being a blessing. He was shining God's light right in Potiphar's house. And then when later on when he got thrown into prison, same thing. He was being his best. He was a minister right where he was. Brothers and sisters, each and every one of you, God has called you to be a minister right where you are. You know, a lot of Pentecostal and evangelical churches, we've taught an escapist eschatology. An escapist end times worldview. It's, and the mentality goes, since the world is going to go to hell, we should have nothing to do with their systems. So what do the musicians do? The musicians, they don't go and try to infiltrate the entertainment industry. They make the Christian music industry. Which praise the Lord for the Christian music industry. I think there's time and place for that. But I think certain musicians, that's their compromise. That's not where God really calls them. But because their churches are constantly telling, how can you do hip-hop? What? You're working with Pete Diddy? <laughs> right? A lot of churches, if they heard that you are a hip-hop artist working for Pete Diddy or for Bad Boys Untamed, I don't know what, what hip-hop artists are out there, uh, records are out there now, but if you're wor- working for all these record companies, a lot of churches will tell you to get out of there. They will say, you're going to fall into adultery and all kind of sin. You need to get out of that environment. But you see, if somebody in this church was rapping for P. Diddy, I will pray and bless and encourage that person every chance I get. Because I don't know about you, but P. Diddy's got a lot of influence. If you're working for Oprah, 
I'm going to pray for you every chance I get because Oprah's got influence. Maybe Oprah will never become a Christian, but you can influence Oprah. Okay. Joseph didn't necessarily convert Pharaoh, but he influenced Pharaoh. Daniel influenced his king. Esther influenced her king. Our whole sole purpose is not just to evangelize and get, get, get conversions. It's to be a blessing. It's to disciple nations. It's to bring God's goodness. Yes, we want people to be evangelized. We want people to get saved. It's not the whole point. It's not this do or die with the whole salvation uh, point. We need to have influence. We need to drop the suicide rate down in the nation of Korea. I mean, how many churches are in this nation and they see that we have one of the highest suicide rates of any country in the um, G20 or you know, any of these more modern, economically modern countries? And a lot of the churches, they, they just allow it to go on. They feel like they can't do anything about it. Brothers and sisters, we need to get rid of this escapist eschatology. We are not on earth to survive until the return of Christ. We are on, on earth to prosper and have dominion until the return of Christ. You are not losers. Turn your neighbor down right now because y'all, y'all need to hear that. You are not a loser. You know, some people will say, well, I'm not a loser. I know I'm not a loser. I'm more than conqueror. I'm victorious in Christ. Yeah, you know, at the end, you know, Jesus is going to show up and man, then you'll see who the loser is. And they say, you know, I'm not a loser. I got victory in Christ. If that's your mentality, I think you're a loser. If that's your mentality, I think you're a loser. You know, you know what the losers were? On the, on the playgrounds in Philadelphia? There were, there were the kids that when you stepped up to them, they said, man, you better step off or my older brother's going to show up. <laughs> All right. I don't want to mess with your older brother. How, how tall is he? How old is he? But you, when you walk away, that, that guy's a loser. That guy's a loser. What, what, what is he doing for himself? I mean... Check this out. Yeah, you can claim victory in Christ when he returns at the end when everything's over and you can't make a difference. Look, if your attitude is like that, you're a loser. See, our attitude needs to change. We're not here to survive. We're here to thrive, prosper. We're here to make a difference and be salt and light in this world. We are to do what Christ did. You know what Christ did when he came on earth? He wasn't like... Y'all Pharisees, y'all can say what you want, haters. Wait till my daddy shows up. You know, somebody with demon spirits, all getting crazy. Jesus didn't say, look at him and say, hey, you demons, you leave that person alone. My daddy's going to show up soon. No, whenever Jesus saw the kingdom of darkness, what did he? He confronted it. The Bible says that Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. 
When he saw a fight, he fought. Because the Bible says our God is a man of war. He's a mighty warrior. And we are to do likewise. That's what I'm trying to say. Just as Christ went about doing good, destroying the works of the devil, we are to go about doing good, destroying the works of the devil. The reason Christ baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire is so that we can do the same thing that he did. And even greater things than these. William Wilberforce, I believe, is a man that got it. I want to honor Wilberforce. Why? Because he single-handedly, not single-handedly, but he had a major influence in ending the slavery trade in England. William Wilberforce, although he was being imposed and he was always, you know, getting all these arguments and every time he voted, it would not go through. He kept fighting and fighting. In fact, kept on contending for the kingdom. And guess what? Kingdom showed up in the form of freedom for a whole bunch of African slaves that were in England. We need some Wilberforces in Southeast Asia. We need some Wilberforces up in the borders of China and North Korea. There's just too many North Korean women that escape out of North Korea. They escape out hoping to find a better life. And then they get enslaved into sexual slavery or get sold as a wife, as a male order bride. We need some Wilberforces to give them a voice. Church is not supposed to be in some basement memorizing scripture and stockpiling food. The church is supposed, is destined to be holy, pure, and victorious. If Christ is in us, then, then show it. Somebody show me that Christ is living in you. If all you become experts in doing is just going to church and sitting in the pews and lifting your hands during praise and saying, uh-huh, during a message, if that's all you become an expert in, where is Christ? You know, I'm tired of dead, dry, religious churches that are more like nursing homes than, than the true church. And I don't know about you, but I believe that God is raising up his church to be an army of mighty warriors at this hour. Just like the vision in Ezekiel, God is breathing his spirit. He's breathing his life onto dry bones. He's raising up an army for himself. And he ain't looking for people that's just going to attend church, pay tithes and go Bible study. He ain't looking for people who are just going to go to church. He's looking for people to be the church. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth. Seeking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's looking for serious, committed disciples at this hour. He's looking for people that are willing to die to self and let Christ live in and through them. God is raising up a people that are going to go all out for God. He's raising up a Jesus-loving, word-hungry, spirit-empowered, fire-filled, tongue-talking, Satan-smashing people. He's looking for a church that's going to be victorious. A people that will declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You know what? And as the saints, we go marching in. People in the dead and dry religion, religious churches, they're going to hate. They're going to oppose. They're going to criticize you. 
Because these religious people want to say, man, you're making me look bad. Why are you all getting, man, calm down. Why are you all getting all fired up? Going on? Why are you going on so many mission trips, man? You're making us look bad. You know what? The same attitude the Pharisees had toward Jesus when he showed up. They hated it when Jesus would do ministry. Even though he was doing so much good. Even though he was healing so much of the sick. The Pharisees, they, were there, they, just, wanted the, they just wanted him to have all the right answers. They wanted everything to be right and in accordance to what their thinking was. They hated the ministry of Jesus. And that's exactly the kind of opposition you will face as the saints movement goes forward. But don't take that as a sign that you're off. You need to take that as a sign that you are right on the road of blessing. But Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted. When people say all kinds of false evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Leap for joy on that day. But it's the same way they treated the prophets that were before you. Brothers and sisters. Pastors, they need to hear this message. Because pastors need to see their people in a new light. The saints, you need to hear this message. Because you need to see your lives, your jobs, your careers in a new light. The whole point of Christianity is not for you to go, if you're not called into full-time ministry, for you to go get a job so you can pay your tithes and come fill up the church on Sunday, sing real loud, and then go to heaven. The whole point of Christianity is not to go to heaven. Go to heaven. That's not the whole point. The whole point I mean, it's part of the point. I mean, it's, it's a major point. I, I, I want to go to heaven. Y'all want to go to heaven? Most of y'all are in here because you want to go to heaven. But what the secret of the kingdom that has been hidden by the devil, where Satan has tried to cover it up, the secret of the kingdom is not that Christianity is just about going to heaven. It's about bringing heaven down to earth. It's about bringing his rule, his kingdom, his, the king's dominion, kingdom. Bringing the king's dominion onto this earth, wherever God's people are. And so, in the midst of this All Saints movement, the Day of the Saints, or whatever you want to call it, there's three things that I want you to keep in mind. For the saints to truly rise up at this hour, there's three things that we need to keep in mind. Number one is we got to learn how to honor the fivefold ministry. Everybody listen right now. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. You need to learn how to honor the fivefold ministry. So real quick, what does the fivefold ministry look like? Okay. Well, you know, a lot of us who grew up in a denominational church... Uh, we only recognize, most of the time, we only recognize pastors. So I am Pastor Christian, Pastor Myonghua, Pastor Marcus, you know, Pastor, Pastor. <laughs> and then, you know, and then we also have teachers, but you don't usually call somebody teacher, unless you're Korean, then you call them sensenim. <laughs> That's usually a youth group term. Not that you actually have that call to be a office of teacher but you know we have teachers and we're even open especially in 1900s we became very open to evangelists thanks to billy graham 
Thank you, Billy Graham. Because, you know, before then, you know, it looked like it was just a pastor that made a long trip. <laughs> that just had a long traveling ministry. No, there are evangelists and they, they hit the road and they're mostly on the road. And that's A-OK with God because that's the way God designed it. And, but the thing is, we have a big stigma with apostles and prophets. And you know what? Our church is not really ready for this message. Although I preached it before, most of you still do not get this message. Which convinces me that there's a veil over the eyes of the church. Even people that get it intellectually here, you still do not get this message in your heart. You know, praise the Lord. I think a lot of my core leaders here, you guys get it. You guys definitely get it or you're on your way to getting it. But the vast majority of denomination churches, you still don't get it. All right. And I'm here to tell you, you want you want the saints to really rise up to do the work of the ministry. You need to learn how to honor the fivefold ministers, especially learning how to honor an apostle and learning how to honor a prophet. Okay, because Jesus said anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Wow. You want the grace that is on a prophet to pour into your life and to minister to you and to edify you? Well, you need to recognize a prophet as a prophet. You need to receive a prophet as a prophet, not just as a pastor. Not as just a minister. You receive them as a prophet and that prophetic grace will flow out when they person ministers. And so, you know, we don't have a close relationship with these IHOP leaders that are coming. So I don't know which of these IHOP leaders have the office of prophet and which of them are just gifted strongly in prophetic and are just an administrator but have really strong prophetic gifting or something like that. I don't know which of them are, but if I recognize it and they also confirm it and, and we, we, we notice that he's open and I'm open and we're going to use that language, I'm going to receive that person as a prophet. Why? Because I want that prophet's reward. That's why. I want that anointing of the prophet to minister to me to the max. Because Christ is the one who gave that person as a gift to the body of Christ. And if, if Christ is the one who chose him, I, I, I trust that Christ knows what he's doing. This summer at the Niagara Conference, we got Pastor Benjamin Robinson coming. And we also have Sarah Yang coming. And so since Sarah is not a shepherd of a local church, we don't necessarily call her Pastor Sarah, but some people call her Pastor Sarah. What is she? I don't know. I don't have that personal friendship with her yet. But from what I can see from her testimony, I would assume that she probably has the office of prophet. Maybe she doesn't know yet. You know? Because some people, you're still in the process of really being recognized and, and being confident in what God has called you to be. It's usually a process. It's not just overnight. Like God says, Rachel Highland, you are a prophet. Goodbye. (laughs) And Rachel wakes up, I'm a prophet. No, it doesn't doesn't work like that. I mean, God speaks to you, speaks to you, speaks to you. It takes years. And you're you're like, I don't know if I can. Rachel, come up here and and pray over this person. Come on, prophesy, girl. Come on, I know you got that in you. And Rachel comes, oh, I don't know if this is me. I don't know. And you know, it takes a process. To be built up into your office. The apostle Paul was called to be an apostle. But what happened? When he went up to the original 12 apostles, what did they do? They rejected him. Because he used to persecute the church. 
it took a long time for those apostles to recognize that Paul was a true apostle. It also took a long time for some of these churches that he used to write to to recognize that he's an apostle. You know how they, you know how they would treat him, some of these churches? He would go there, he'll take an offering, and nobody will give. And then he'll have to rebuke them. <laughs> What's wrong with y'all? I am to eat and have my living off of the ministry. Why, I got to make tents all my life? You know, people say Paul was a tent maker. No, he wasn't a tent maker all his life. It wasn't his choice to be a tent maker all his life. He probably had to make tents where people didn't give offering. Because people didn't recognize him as an apostle. But once again, it was a process for Paul to be convinced of that. And then for the people of God to be convinced of that. Well, let me tell you something right now. If I can discern when I meet Pastor Benjamin that he is an apostle, I'm going to receive him as an apostle. I don't care if you don't, but I will. If I can discern that and I can confirm that. If I can confirm that Sarah is an apostle or Sarah is a prophet, I'm not going to receive her as guest speaker Sarah. I'm going to receive her as prophet Sarah. I'm going to receive her as apostle Sarah. You know, when I met our brother Dell, he's a young man. He's like 24, 25 years old. Young man, man. I met Dell. I looked at him. I was like, man, homie, how old are you? No, I didn't say that. Actually, he looked kind of old. But then he, <laughs> he told me he was only 24. I was like, what? 24? But up until that point, he was spitting out prophecy. I was sitting across at a coffee table. Not a coffee table. It was a table where you drink coffee. And we're just sitting across... And, and he didn't pray, like, let me pray for you and prophesy. He was just like talk, talking to me. And he's like, you know what? I feel like God is saying this. And this is what God's been doing in your ministry. And he's going to take you to this level. And he's going to, and this is the marks of your ministry. And this is, oh yeah, by the college ministry, God's going to use your college ministry like the Emmaus Road. And I was like, what? I didn't even tell him that the ministry was called Emmaus. I recognize he's got a prophetic gifting. And so I told the core leaders, hey, dude, hey, y'all. Not dude, hey, y'all. We have a prophet coming for Sunday Swim this week. So I want you all to receive him like a, like a prophet. Okay? And in that room, even though it wasn't the majority of people that heard this, there's a few enough to put a demand and receive them as a prophet. And you know what Dell did the moment he, he, he held the mic? He started to prophesy. He didn't try to teach you something. He didn't try to counsel people. He prophesied. Why? Because we received him as a prophet. We got the prophet's reward that day. If you want to listen to it, it's on our website. But you got you to gotta log in and get approval. And then you can listen to the prophecies on our website. Anyway, it's a very good, a very good one. But just in summary, what do the fivefold ministries look like? How do you recognize whether a person is a pastor or a prophet? Here, here's, here's a simple way. This is, not a, a, this is not a comprehensive way. A very simple way. Pastors, their main focus is on people. They're really good at counseling. They're really good at shepherding. They're really good in taking care and showing you love and making you feel loved. They're really good at when they counsel you, they can get to the root heart issues. Pastor's focus is on people. The evangelist's focus is on, on the lost. His focus is not on people within the church. His focus is on the people outside the church. And his heart aches with the heart of Christ. To leave the 99 and go after the one. So evangelists, a lot of times, you're not going to see them on Sunday service. Because they're over there in Guatemala and Mexico and Israel. 
they're doing their thing because their focus is on the lost. Teachers, their focus is on the word. They're all about the word. They're about studying the word. They're about teaching the word. And they feel the most alive when they write a book or they can do a seminar or to get the word of God in you. It's a teacher. Their focus is on the word. A prophet. Their focus is on God. They're all about praising God, ministering to God, prayer, 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 prayer. Hey, prophet, we, we should go out and evangelize. Hold on, we got to pray more. We got to praise and worship longer. Hey, our evangelism time is getting cut smaller and smaller. It's more important to praise, you know, because a prophet's all about focus is on God. All right, and that's why they are able to speak on behalf of God so powerfully. And then an apostle. Their focus is on everything. That's the nature of the apostle office. They're able, it's a governing gift. They're able to do any of the other four offices. They're able to, they can go in as a, like if you look at the apostle Paul, he went into a town that didn't have any Christians. He evangelized the lost, got them saved. And then he started to teach them as a teacher the word of God. And then he stayed there for two years as a pastor and shepherd of the people. And then, yeah, that's all of them, right? That's four. (laughs) An apostle can function temporarily in any of the four offices. It's an overall gift. It's a governing gift. It's a church planting gift. You ever see Christian organizations that are multinational, that are global? Things like Campus Crusade. Things like YWAM. Okay? The head and president of these Christian organizations probably have an office of apostle or some kind of apostolic covering or gift. If you think about Paul, he was this multi-city, multinational, multi-everything. And when an apostle comes into fruition, that's the kind of fruit they're gonna, you're going to see in their life. You want the saints to rise up, you've got to learn how to honor the fivefold ministry. Because then they will equip you to do the work of ministry. Number two, you got to learn how to pray effectively. Man, I was going to cover all this, but we, we're running out of time. All right. But you got to pray effectively, all right? Saints, we were created in God's image. God has established us as his earthly representatives. So when we pray, we have authority in the earth to decree God's judgments. You see, Adam and Eve, they fell in the garden and they lost the authority that God gave them to subdue and have dominion on the earth. They gave that up. But the good news is, God has restored that authority and dominion onto us. Because Jesus Christ became a man to win back that authority and to restore it back to his people. That's why the Bible says we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Heavenlies, that seat with Christ in the heavenlies is a place of authority. Far above all principalities, demonic powers, we're in a place of authority. And when we pray, we got to pray with authority. You've got to pray like, like it's going to shift and change things. Whatever we allow, heaven allows. Whatever we disallow, heaven disallows. So during this 21-day fast, what have, we, what have we been doing? We've been decreeing and declaring freedom and healing for the North Korean people. We have been coming and saying, we disallow. There have already been 60 years of oppression. We disallow this oppression from continuing. 
And we're bringing that and we're speaking that and we're praying that with authority. And guess what? Mark my words, North Korea will open up very quickly. The oppression will come to an end. Even at the end of this year, you will see it. The doors are being made ready to open up. Uh, Is that prophetic or is that just my enthusiasm? Look, I don't know. There have been certain prophetic words. But look, check this out. That's the direction we're headed. Because heaven's standard says what's happening in North Korea is not permitted in heaven. And it must not be permitted on earth. And as his earthly representatives, that's the way we got to come against this thing. We got to learn how to pray effectively. You know, Elijah, when the, the people of Israel, they started turning to idols and King Ahab was leading the way. You know what Elijah did? He went up to Ahab and said, it will not rain until I say so. And what happened? It did not rain until Elijah said so. Okay. But if you look in the book of James, it wasn't just a simple decoration. Like, it's not like you can go up to somebody and be like, hey, man, you will not get a job for four months. Like, you can't just make a decoration like that. I mean, in the book of James, it tells us that Elijah prayed fervently and it did not rain. It's the, it's the powers of fervent prayer that shifts the heavens, that shifts the history of earth. And so, man, we, we got to come against the thing like Elijah and just be like, you know what? North Korea, oppression, it ends. It ends now. It ends now. And then lastly, third, we got to honor the five-fold ministry. We got to learn how to pray effectively. And third, we got to learn how to war with the word of God. We got to learn how to use the sword of the spirit. We got to learn how to get the word in us and then use the word. To rout the enemies around us. To rout the forces of darkness. You know, in the desert, in the desert, Jesus fasted 40 days, 40 nights. The devil tempted Jesus in the desert. And you know what the devil was trying to do? The devil was trying to go after Christ's authority. You know what? Satan is doing the same thing to you today. Every time he's trying to tempt you to sin, he's going after your authority. He knows that if he can cover you up with shame and guilt and sin patterns, you will never exercise the authority you are destined for. You will live like a slave, not like a son. You will act like a pauper and not a king. Don't let Satan, don't give up, don't give away your authority to Satan. Instead, you got to fight every thought that you get. And bring it under the submission of the authority of God's word and under the lordship of Christ. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ is what the word of God says. The reason it's important for you to live holy is not only just so you can have intimacy with God. But it's also so that out of that intimacy there's an authority that rises up for you to decree and declare God's judgments on the earth. There is power in the spoken word. Of either death or life. Blessings or curses. And we as God's people, we got to know, we got to learn how to effectively use anointed words to destroy the works of the devil. You know, sometimes a person comes here and it's filled with the spirit of this depression. And it's clear through a prophetic word or even just look at them, they're just so depressed. 
you speak out an anointed word. And you expect the Holy Spirit to breathe on it. And you say, I loose this depression off of your life. I put on you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. By the blood of Christ, I loose you from this depression. And you might be like, well, you're cuckoo. The person didn't change at all. They're still depressed. Well, you keep looking at that person. You keep observing their life. Look just a few weeks down the line or look maybe the same week down the line. That person is set free. That person is healed. Why? Because I used the word of God like a sword to cut that person loose from depression. I didn't take 5,000 hours of counseling. You know? You, you, if you've been spending money on all kinds of depression, antidepressant pills, and that does not to make you feel guilty if you're taking antidepressant pills. Look, if you don't have any help to go to, you got to do what you got to do to survive. All right, you don't got to be ashamed of that. But look, let me give you some hope. All right? You can get 5,000 words from a psychiatrist, or you can just get one anointed word from a man of God. And the Holy Spirit will electrify and empower those words. And the words of God will cut you free from your depression. We as God's people, the All Saints movement, man, we got to learn how to set people free from depression wherever we go. This is what it's all about, brothers and sisters. I want everyone to stand right now. Come on. John, could you come up? Let's get the praise team up here. I want you I want you to put your hand on your heart right now. And I want you to repeat after me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he is sending me To bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. To release from darkness the prisoners. I am a priest of the Lord. I am a minister. I am a saint. A blood-bought saint. Right now, I'm going to invite you in your own words. If you really believe that declaration, ask God. Ask God to equip you, to help you to mature, to equip you, to train you, to be a mighty warrior, to rise up and to do the work of the ministry. Stop looking to your full-time Pastors to do the work of the ministry. You assume that responsibility. That calling is yours. 
I want you to talk to God in your own voice right now. Everyone, lift your voice all over the place. Lift your voice to heaven. Tell the Lord that you want to be used of Him. Tell Him specifically what kind of things you want people to be set free from. Come on, you've been seeing a lot of people suicidal around you. Ask God to use you to set them free. Raise up a victorious church, God. Raise up a victorious church, God. Victorious, victorious, glorious church. A church filled with your power. A church equipped. Equip the church, God. Equip your people, Lord. To take the gospel to the world. To take your presence and power. To infiltrate systems, Lord. About a month ago, we prayed for people that have a calling to the business mountain. We here at New Philadelphia Church, we do not look down on so-called secular jobs. Right? Each and every one of you is a minister. Some of you are five-fold ministers in a secular setting. You have the office of prophet or apostle. You know, you ever see business people and they somehow, in a crazy way, they're able to predict the next market. They're able to predict new products that they're going to do well and they make, they, they base their decisions almost like a prophetic word. That is a prophet in the marketplace. Whether you want to accept it or not, there are people who have a five-fold ministry call in the business mountain. We prayed for people in the business mountain about a month ago. And I feel like today, God wants to pray for people that are on the government mountain. Okay, and I don't know how many people in here okay, have that type of position. Okay, but I'm going to ask you, if you are... In a position of a government employment or you have a heart and a calling to have dominion on the government mountain. You, have, you want a government job, international relations. You want to study politics, law. Okay. I want you to raise your hand. Okay. If you're a government mountain person, you know that that's where you want to go. That's where you want to go. All right. I want all the government mountain people. I want you to quickly move forward to the front. I'm going to pray for you right now. We'll release an anointing for you. Let me have a couple altar ministers look out for their back. Please watch them. We don't want anyone to get hurt. Check this out. The church, we need to stop despising the politicians. Yes, there is corruption. Yes, there is all kinds of adultery, all kinds of bad things on the government mountain. But check this out. 
We need the Daniels to rise up. Amen. We need the Josephs to rise up in places of government, position, and authority. We need to take the righteousness of God and establish the establish a nation's government. Whether it doesn't matter if they're Christian or not, we need to establish the laws of a government on the throne of righteousness and justice. That is why the United States has seen so much prosperity and of God's goodness throughout the ages is because their constitution was a constitution that was written straight from the Bible. It's a written, it's a constitution that is, has a foundation on the word of God. We need government people to have that type of influence, especially here in Korea. We need the Korean politics here. God is going to shake it up and God is going to bring reform. All right. Hallelujah. I want you to stretch out, out your hand if you're. If you're...